everybody out there, and welcome to another episode of Terrific Talk, the horror podcast that aims to answer this question weekly, why horror? And we got such an awesome episode tonight because we will have two guests, Mike Manello and Ben Rock. Mike Manello is the creator, and... Ben Rock is the co-writer and director of the Shudder original podcast, Video Palace. And if you're thinking way back, you will also remember them as Mike Manello being the producer of and Ben Rock being the production designer of the Blair Witch Project. I'm sure that you all know that movie. But before I get into the interview, and before I call up Ringy Dingy Dingy, our guest on Skype, we are going to go into a segment called Brandy Recommends, where I recommend a horror movie, a horror podcast, uh, horror YouTubers, horror books, anything related to horror. It could be old, it could be new, it could be, like I said, in between, as long as it's awesome. All right, this recommendation is my first accidental introduction to the horror world. And it was a very kind of brutal introduction. Fortunately, it did not stop me from loving horror. I just can only watch this movie about every 10 years because it freaks me out. So, this week on Brandy Recommends, my recommendation is Clive Barker's Hellraiser. I know that you all recognize this guy. Clive Barker does not like for him to be called Pinhead. He prefers the name the Hell Priest. So, he's the big dog, Cenobite, in Hell. And him and the chattering Cenobite, who is the Hell Priest's right hand, freaked me the fuck out whenever I was a kid. So whenever I was six years old is when I first saw that. I kind of kept coming down the stairs and my mom kept being like, Brandy, go back upstairs. You can't watch this. So I keep sneaking down the stairs. She'd catch me. I'd sneak back up. Then she'd catch me again. And then I had to sneak back up. And I, I don't know just why I keep coming back to this movie. Maybe I'm a glutton for punishment. I have no idea. But there's something so unique about these characters, I guess, even though they terrify me. Where they're so different from the slashers of the 80s. That it's just so intriguing. And... Doug Bradley, who played the the Pinhead Cenobite, or Pinhead, as he's well known, even though Clive Parker does not like that name. One of my, one of the lines that I remember the most is when Kirsty, the main like girl character, asks, "Who are you?" and he goes, "Pinhead goes, explorers on the outer regions of experience." Outer regions, outer realms of experience, demons to some, angels to others. I was just like, damn, that was a well-constructed line. And the effects 
of course, were 80s effects. They're very cheesy effects, and they were so fucking gross that I was just like, eh. And to this day, whenever I see Pinhead and Chatterer, I'm still like, eh. And I can only watch it about once every 10 years, I kid you not. So the last time I watched it um, was when I was 26. And then I most recently watched it uh, last night. So I was like, I kind of got the thinking because I thought it was funny. You know, I can only handle watching this movie about once every 10 years. And not because I think it's bad, because right now, just even thinking about it, my stomach just drops. And I have, I, uh, I, I have no idea why. I think maybe it's because of the young age that I saw it. That's probably a huge part of it. Like, if I saw it now at 36, I'd be like, oh my god, yeah, this is so gross, but it's, it's awesome. Like, look at these characters, they're fucking badass. And not to say that I don't think that these characters aren't badass, they are, but they just hold more terror to me. I think probably because I saw this movie at six years old. So what are you, what are your guys' thoughts on, um, on Hellraiser? This is the only one that I've seen. I haven't seen, I know there was like a reboot to it. I know that there are sequels to it. People think that the second one is okay, that the third one is trash. I don't know, I can't like really speak to it because I haven't seen any of those, but the first one always stuck out to me. And I don't know. If it wasn't for Hellraiser, I don't know if I would like horror as much as I would today, strangely enough. Because it was my first introduction even before the show The Hitchhiker and Tales from the Crypt on HBO. Now those are the ones that show me that yeah, horror isn't all gross. Horror can be fun. It can be funny. It can make you think. It can be exciting. But wow, we what a first introduction to the horror genre. Huh. I like all the theatrical ones. And I believe, if I remember correctly, wasn't Hellraiser based on a book? Correct? I think I remember correctly that being that Hellraiser is based on a book. All I remember about it is that it freaked the fuck out of me. It freaked the absolute fuck out of me. And that's all I remember about Hellraiser. And so the next time I watch it, it's going to be 10 years from now at 46. So it is based on a book. Okay. It is based on a book. So someone from my uh, chat, because I have chat open right now, for those of you who are listening to the audio version of this, it is based on a book. Okay, uh, Cirrus, thank you so much for that. I thought that was the case. I'm kind of curious in wanting to read this book. And Clive Barker, okay, I heard a quote once about horror, and I don't remember who it was from, that to like horror, you have to be, or to be a fan of horror, you have to be a little bit messed up in the head. And 
if you think about Clive Barker's characters that he created, the Cenobites, they are so gloriously messed up. But if it wasn't for his little bit of a messed up mind, then we wouldn't have those characters as we know them today. Now, I've seen some pretty killer pinhead cosplays, and even some, like, chatterer cosplays, but I don't know how people will be able to see, to see through that mask. And also the female Cenobite, I've seen some pretty killer, um, pretty killer cosplays of her. I haven't seen many of Butterball, the Butterball Cenobite, as he's called. But, yes, that is my recommendation for the week Hellraiser it is on Shudder if you do not have Shudder I highly recommend that you get it you get a 7 day free trial and then it, it is $4.99 a month like I said not sponsored by Shudder would like to be hint hint Shudder if anyone from Shudder is watching this <laughs> And also one last recommendation, Mr. H Reviews, he's a YouTube channel, Mr. H, H as in ha ha ha, Mr. H Reviews. He does a really awesome detailed breakdown analysis of Hellraiser and the Cenobites, all different kinds of Cenobites. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the interview portion of Terrific Talk. And with me tonight, I have two lovely guests by the name of Mike Manello and Ben Rock, who were Hello. both have both involved with the Shutter Podcast Video Palace and talking way back, the Blair Witch Project. So, welcome, gentlemen. How are you doing this evening? Really good. Awesome. I am so glad that you were able to come on to the podcast tonight and talk a little bit about horror and your uh, video palace with me. And so thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Oh, totally. My pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Oh, absolutely. I'm just so excited. So I'm just going to go ahead and <laughs> jump right into it. And I'm just going to get started right. with asking you to um, introduce yourself. So talk a little bit just about... You don't have to start like way back, like no. Once upon a time, I was born. But go ahead and introduce <laughs> yourselves to talk a little bit about what you do in the horror industry. Mike, oh, me first. Okay, <laughs> uh, let's see. So my name is uh, Mike Manello. Um, I am well. Currently, I work at a company called Campfire, which is part of another company called The Mill. Um, and I work uh, largely, actually, in uh, marketing and advertising. We create immersive experiences that are digital or physical that uh, extend the worlds and the stories of mostly TV shows that you probably love into real space. And sometimes that is activations that happen at San Diego Comic-Con, um, like we did one this most recent Comic-Con for the USA Network's The Purge series. Um, and sometimes it's uh, content for, uh, we did a program called Resistance Radio for Amazon uh, for the Man in the High Castle that was kind of like uh, uh, four hours of, of radio shows from the alternate universe of Man in the High Castle. So um, we do a lot of cool stuff 
there. And so I, I keep my fingers in the entertainment industry through that. And then uh, you mentioned Video Palace, which is a project most recently that Ben and I and a bunch of other people collaborated on for Shudder. And that is, uh, that is just about having fun. There's no advertising purpose there. It's just uh, telling a great story or hopefully a great story. I thought it was a great story. It generally disturbed me, like for the like in a good way, not in a bad way, but for the first time awesome. since I saw Hell Hellraiser. I was talking about that just a little bit earlier. I was like, ugh. All right. <laughs> now Ben How long ago did you see Hellraiser? Um, I saw it when I was six. Accidentally. Like, you know, oh, yeah. I, I kept, like, see, sneaking down the stairs, and my mom kept telling me to get back up the stairs, so that I kept coming back down, <laughs> so, like, 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 that kind of thing. And so, the joke is that I can only watch it once about every ten years. I keep revisiting it, because I'm a glutton for punishment. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I just recently watched it last night. It's like, okay, well, I'm good for about, you know, the next ten years, until, like, I'm 46. <laughs> <laughs> You're a real glutton for punishment. Watch the latest Hellraiser movies, like the ones that just came out like last year. What well, are they bad? <laughs> yeah, they're not good. <laughs> it's like someone's someone's trying to hold on to the rights, and so they just have to crank out a movie every so often. So, <laughs> like uh, that, like that Fantastic Four movie that Roger Corman made. <laughs> yeah, but they just kept they just kept doing it and kept doing it. I mean, like I think I've seen all of the Hellraisers, and at this point, it's just completism it's just a ocd and completism that's keeping me watching hellraiser movies but uh, i i uh but i i love i love like especially the first three um so my name is ben rock um i uh i went uh i'm, I'm from orlando florida uh with, with mike i worked on the blair witch project i was the production designer that's my credit on it the other big thing i did on it was i wrote a lot of the backstory like ed and dan had kind of sketched out a rough outline of of the events that had transpired and then they brought me on to kind of name all the characters and kind of get really specific and and you know get everything like you know kind of ground everything with whatever historical accuracy and uh the first thing i did like over a year before we made the movie was i wrote you can find it online it's too long i wrote this thing that's kind of a pitch tape for it and i wrote the copy for it and if i'm not mistaken mike you edited that did you? Yes, I did. I was a producer and editor of that piece. Curse yeah. of the Blair Witch? No, no, not Curse or of the Blair Witch. The, I'm the... talking about like the pitch tape before the movie even got made, the thing that got handed to John Pearson. Oh. Like, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I don't think I edited that one. I was around. It was kind of like, you know, I I think I was the one who had a personal computer back then, and I think I, I had hauled it out of my house and set it up in the offices there. <laughs> uh, and we used it, so I was kind of hanging around but i don't i don't ah so long ago i don't remember i don't think i edited that one though anyway well anyway so i i created that but then also after the i, I worked on the movie uh as the production designer after the movie i wrote curse of the blair witch which mike produced um which was the sci-fi channel special and then uh when all the hacks and guys were uh you know off doing big important things i was brought on by artisan as as the one guy who was living in la from that group uh <laughs> i i was brought on to create a, a special for when the first movie uh premiered on on showtime it's called the burkittsville seven you can find it online you can find it on my vimeo which is sitting on my vimeo right now uh and then another one that was for the sequel called shadow of the blair witch and I, uh, over the years, I've done a lot of stuff kind of in and out of the horror world. I've actually worked for Mike several times for uh, Campfire when they needed some video produced. I would create stuff like they did a thing for True Blood or a thing for uh, 
the 4400 or uh, uh, a, a video game called Homefront. Uh, we we did a. I actually had a company. We did a bunch of stuff for them. We made a TV special for the original Hellboy movie um, that I, I I wrote and directed that. Uh, I, uh, the only feature uh, credit I have is uh, as a director is a thing called Alien Raiders that was released by uh, Warner Brothers about ten years ago. Um, what it's else? Fantastic. Yeah, Alien uh, Raiders is fantastic. Everyone should watch it. I'm I, I'm a little ashamed of the title, which was not mine, and yeah. uh, the, the movie. Anything else in the movie, you can blame on me. Um, <laughs> and uh, so you know, like. Uh, the 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 couple other things that I've done that maybe would have been on your radar at all. Bob DeRosa, who I, I co-wrote Video Palace with, uh, he and I have a web series called 20 Seconds to Live that we've been doing for about four or five years. Um, we're about to release a second season of it. Um, so we have that. And then I was the associate producer on Adam Green's uh, Victor Crowley, the one that he sprung on audiences unawares that came out uh, last year, last year-ish, I think. Uh, and then... Video Palace was uh, the first thing I did after my son was born. My wife is putting him to uh, bed right now in the next room. Aww. Yeah. <laughs> so how long ago was your son born? Just recently or? Uh, May the 4th. Oh. Hard to forget. Oh, my good. Yeah. It, the, oh, May the 4th be with you. That's a perfect birthday. It is pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So it sounds like you guys are just like really busy bees. Like in the horror industry, you got your fingers like almost stuck in like a whole bunch of different pies, like as they, as the old saying goes. So I always ask this question to first start off the podcast, like why horror? So what is it about this genre that makes you love it so much? And it's a question to both of you. I'll go first. <laughs> uh, I'm an anxiety written wretch. And uh, have been since I was a kid. And I think that horror has always allowed me to kind of experience worst case scenarios and then walk away from them and not. And, and, and so, like, I, uh, I, when I actually started out, I was a special effects makeup artist and I worked on like low budget movies in Mobile, Alabama and stuff in the Southeast mostly. Um, and so, uh, makeup effects appealed to me like for the sheer magic of it, you know, I'd read books by Tom Savini or whatnot to, and, and kind of get excited about how you do that stuff. But I think that the reason that I always gravitated and still always gravitate to horror, everything, books, uh, movies, TV shows, whatever, uh, is I think I do need to kind of go through uh, hell all the time and remind myself, you make it out the other side. And now my turn. Um, yes, your turn. I'm looking up at you like I'm in the grave. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I I um I love things that get a visceral reaction. You know, which means I like comedies, I like horror movies, I like I like things where you just get a really strong visceral or physical reaction to them. Um, I'm not, I think, what you would call a traditional horror fan. I'm not an obsessive. Uh, but I do have my favorites and my favorites tend to be the more oddball, uh, ones of the group. But, um, I, I think actually I like working in horror and making scary things maybe even more than I like, uh, watching scary things. I love horror fiction and I love especially anything that feels like it has a mythology and it has a world that's bigger than the story that you might be reading or, or watching right now, which is, uh, which horror, of course, and sci-fi and fantasy are loaded with. And so those are all genres that I really gravitate towards. 
Oh, awesome. So if you two had to, like someone who is just coming into the horror genre for the first time, if they asked you, okay, what is the one horror movie that I should watch first? What would you recommend to them? Uh, John Carpenter's The Thing. Nothing better. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, that, that, the, the feature I made is, is in part homage to the thing. Uh, I, I think it's, it's really, really scary. Uh, the, the effects obviously, uh, are different than what we do today, but I think they hold up really well. Rob Bottin's, uh, makeup effects, but really it's just such strong characters, such great acting. Like it's the whole package. It's great script, great cinematography, great direction. Uh, John Carpenter never fired on any more cylinders than that movie, in my opinion. You know, that's an interesting question. I actually filtered that through an experience I'm having right now. My youngest daughter is very much into horror. And uh, and and uh, several years ago, she started asking me to show her more horror films. So, you know, she was young and she was prone to uh, uh, I don't know if she was prone to having nightmares but she was prone to exploiting the fact that she was too scared to go to sleep to stay up late so uh, <laughs> so I started off a little easy but you know I'm looking at this list because what I do is I show her these horror movies and I ask her to rate them and uh, on a scale of how scary they were and so the first I, I you know the first one the first movie I showed her was Jaws and it was because uh, I felt like, well, she could claim to be scared, but she couldn't really claim that she couldn't go to bed because she was scared a shark was going to eat her. <laughs> so I thought, there you go. And so I went from Jaws to Poltergeist to The Ring to Alien. And then from there, we went to The Thing. So, you know, those are probably like if I was saying to somebody, uh, you don't really know horror, but you want to get a taste of it. Those would probably be the, you know, those are the movies I chose to start my daughter off on. <laughs> so I got someone in chat say, so he's terrorizing his child. <laughs> <laughs> what's the what's the one well, that she thought was the scariest so far? You know, the one that she thought was the scariest so far was um, the uh, remake. It, believe it or not, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. She's got a lot that she's not that scared of, uh, but I think she's also a little bit bragging. She was also kind of creeped out by Night of the Living Dead, the original. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that one did, and she and she actually was also very creeped out by uh, the original Carrie, as well. Mm. All solid, solid films to be creeped out by. Yes, absolutely. So, you do you both consider yourself case hardened? Does not much scare you anymore, or can you still get scared like by a horror movie? Oh, I get myself scared shitless all the time watching horror movies. Yeah. I definitely, I, I definitely have, I have no problem immersing myself in a movie that I'm watching and totally being in the moment. Did you see Terrified on Shutter? It's uh, an Argentinian film. No, I have not. That scared the shit out of me at many points. That, <laughs> yeah. That, that movie, that movie had me on pins and needles the whole way through. What was the name of that again? Terrified. Terrified. Okay. Not to be confused with Terrifier, which is the thing about the killer weird clown, which uh, is a, it's it's pretty standard slasher fare. It's well done, but Terrified is a ghost story, and in the first five minutes, they did something I, I ain't never seen anyone do in a horror movie. All right, thank you for not spoiling that because I hate spoilers. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't spoil it for anyone. I think you should you should everyone should go watch Terrified if they have Shutter. Yeah, Terrified has some has some incredible imagery that's just you know, 
I woke up the next day and I was still thinking about some of the things I saw in that movie. Yeah. There's, there's another one. I, I'm not trying to shill too hard for Shudder here. Um, but uh, there's another one they have called The Witch in the Window. And that had a couple of moments that were like edge of your seat kind of stuff that were pretty scary. But yeah, I mean, like, uh, I, I mean, if, if the storytelling is good, usually the part of my brain that's analyzing what's going on turns off. And even scenes like in Pan's Labyrinth, the pale man scene, that's that's horrifying. Mm-hmm. It's such a great scene. And really nothing pulls me out of that. Like, it's just so perfectly done. Ah, man. So I was trying to think about, okay, I talked a little bit about my earliest experience with horror because I kind of think about, like, I tend to, like, like overanalyze stuff at times. But, yeah, my earliest experience with horror was Hellraiser. Do you all remember your earliest experience with horror? Totally. I was nine years old, and I saw The Changeling on HBO. Oh, wow. (laughs) And I could not sleep, and my mother had to stay up with me, like, all night. And then my grandfather, I was talking to him shortly after that, and he ruined movies for me for a while because he's like, look, you know, it's just like a bunch of people sitting around and, you know, on a, on a stage or something doing it. You think it scared them? And I was like, you know, at nine, I was like, oh, I guess that's true. And it kind of like distanced me a little bit. But The Changeling is sort of like that, that first experience that I'm always trying to recreate. And uh, again, shilling for Shudder. It is on Shutter. They recently dropped it on Shutter, and I'm like, I haven't seen the Changeling. Last time I saw the Changeling, uh, the the woman I'm married to now, Alicia, when we were still dating, I rented it on VHS because it was the '90s, and uh, we watched the Changeling then. I hadn't seen it since then, and then I before that, I probably hadn't seen it since I saw it on HBO as a kid. Um, and it's pretty good. It holds up. It's got some genuinely creepy ghost stuff. So, however you get the Changeling, get it up in you. <laughs> Um, let's see. I think my first, I can't remember my first horror movie, but I can remember, I think one of my uh, most favorite experiences at the movies, uh, ever was I was, I don't know. I I had to be, I don't know, 10 or 11. I went to see Poltergeist in the theater and, um, with some friends and I went in blind. I didn't know what the movie was about. I didn't even really know what genre it was. I knew it was Steven Spielberg and Steven Spielberg had made, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and I, I didn't associate his name with horror movies, and I went into that thing, and I was absolutely terrified, uh, as were all of my other friends when we went to see that movie. So I loved uh, that. That's still uh, an experience. I remember the theater. I remember the seat I was in. I remember <laughs> everything about it, um, watching that movie, um, which was amazing. And then you know, that's, that's the first horror movie I remember, but really the first movie that ever terrified me that I watched too young, like you watching Hellraiser at six uh, was taxi driver. So, which is <laughs> sort of a horror movie. Sort of not. I watched a lot it. Way, to unpack there. Uh, a lot to unpack. I watched it. I watched it when my, uh, I had a babysitter and my parents had, it was before it was when HBO had a key. You remember it wasn't even HBO. They called it key cinema and it had a key on your cable box and my parents forgot to lock it out. And uh, I snuck into their room and we had a babysitter on the other side of the house. And all I knew is that the movie was rated R and I shouldn't watch it. But I didn't know anything about it. And I turned it on. It was Taxi Driver. Messed me up. Messed me up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So before I tried, I said Taxi Driver can be traumatizing. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, Robert- watching it when you're like six. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now it's just like, oh, Robert De Niro, and he's yelling, and he's kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, uh, I always if get. If you ever have a therapist, they should yeah. they should pay that babysitter a royalty for letting you watch that. Yeah. yeah, that would well, be, you know, be a good. What's point. funny is that it, I, I I watched it when I was young, and I internalized it, and it terrified me, and I couldn't talk about it to anyone because if I did, I would be admitting that I had done this thing, and no, because I didn't get caught. And so it honestly, it wasn't until many, many years later when I was in high school and I was working in a video store and I took home taxi driver and I watched it and I started going, wait, I've seen this movie before and I'm watching what, and then I got to a scene and I went, oh my God. And I just kind of flashed <laughs> back to that moment where I was sitting on the edge of my parents' bed, too close to the TV, watching this movie. And I realized I was watching the movie that had messed me up as a young kid. It was very, very strange. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> ah, yeah, Hellraiser, like, messed me up, kind of like I said, when I was talking, like, about it uh, earlier. Like, of course, I was sick. I probably should not have been watching it anyway. But I did, and even still to this day, it just makes my stomach sink just, like, think about it. But I watch it anyway. I don't know why. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Hello. Hi. I hate Skype. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry about that. Just like I was talking, and then you guys froze, and then Skype just went. No worries. Okay. All right. I don't even. Ah, jeez. So now I gotta do like the thingy all over again. There we go. Got it. Got it. All right. I don't even remember like what we were talking about. What were talking about uh, uh oh yeah. oh yeah yeah i was talking about just like um we were talking about like our first like um experience of the horror and then i was talking just about how hellraiser like still terrified me even to this day and then that was going to lead into the next question which was about Let's go ahead and talk about Video Palace. We'll, um, I'll kind of like skip back and talk about like the Blair Witch Project, like if y'all want, but I want to go ahead and just skip right to Video Palace because I am very excited about it. So where did this idea of Video Palace come about? So like, where did it all begin? Ah, uh, so, uh, interestingly enough, I think the, the idea for Video Palace came out of thinking about, um, the shutter service itself, believe it or not. Um, you know, like I said, the Nick Braccia, the co-creator and I, uh, we do a lot of marketing work at campfire in the mill. And, um, we, uh, we were talking to folks at shutter and, um, and when we talk to, uh, when we talk to our clients, we're often thinking about kind of, uh, what, it, what is, what does shutter mean, you know, as a brand and, and, and what's their service all about and uh, a lot of times we'll go and do research and say, well, what are fans saying about whatever, you know, whether we're doing a TV show or a, or a, or a, a platform like Shudder. And um, we were doing research and we kind of we saw that um, people who love Shudder kind of often refer to Shudder as like the great the greatest uh, video store horror section. And uh, and I could relate to that because I spent my teenage years, actually, all my high school years working in a video store. And, uh, you know, and what's, what's lost from video stores, and this is not a commercial for Shutter, but I think what's lost today in streaming services is that um, it's, they're so much more convenient, but we've lost access to so many movies. The video store I worked at in 
when I was in high school, had a better selection of movies than taking the major streaming platforms and combining all their movie selections still, you know? And, um, and so there's so many movies out there that we don't have access to. And these uh, services like Shudder and uh, Night Flight, which is another personal favorite of mine, they have all of these more obscure movies available. And so it's very, very exciting. So when we heard that Shudder was interested, well, Shudder's part of AMC Networks, and when we heard that Shudder was interested in doing some podcasts, uh, Nick and I basically sat down and said, oh, we should do this. Now, I, I, Ben and I and Nick and I in separate conversations have been talking about doing scripted fiction podcasts for a, a while now. Um, I've been listening to podcasts for about 10 years, and, uh, and what I noticed about scripted fiction podcasts is that um, they often come off more like radio dramas than podcasts to me. Um, a lot of people don't, they, they either, they think it's either cliche or they don't want to use the podcast format for what I think it works best at, which is a much more intimate kind of storytelling. And, um, and it was, and I found it really frustrating and I, and I found it frustrating because I thought the radio dramas just never felt right going in my ear. You know, it's, it's kind of like books, on, like I can listen to podcasts I can listen to people talking in a podcast format for a long time, but I can't listen to an audiobook. And I think it's because audiobooks are not written to be listened to. They're written, you know, books are written to be read. And um, and I think the kinds of radio drama podcasts that I've heard, I would struggle with the same thing. I'd struggle to keep interest in or something a slightly bad performance or a bad line reading or something would throw me out of the story. And so uh, in thinking about uh, uh, what we might do, uh, when we heard that Shutter was interested, uh, Nick and I just got together, and really, it just kind of like the idea of setting something in a or, or setting something around a video store, and this idea of urban legends is something that you know in my work uh, at Campfire and before is something that's just inherent in almost everything we do, and so we just started putting that together and really brainstorming, and Nick. Uh, had come up with the idea of like we should this the the theme of this should really be about collectors and I'm a I'm a major collector I'm one of these people that's like when I start collecting something all of a sudden my house fills up with stuff it, you know in the worst way and uh, and and Nick is like that too and we thought it'd be interesting to kind of tell a scary story that uh, interrogated that kind of collector mentality so um, so we put together Nick and I put together kind of a 10 page outline of the season and the story and uh, had a lot of holes in it, but, and uh, pitched it to shutter and they loved it. And, um, you know, this, so this was designed really, it was really designed as a, a little bit of a love letter to the horror audience on shutter specifically in that sense, because um, we had spent so much time in our other work thinking about the people who love shutter and love the content that Shudder has. And, uh, and from there, when Shudder said they were interested, uh, you know, uh, called up Ben Rock there, and, um, and Ben came on board. I'll let him tell that part of the story, but pretty quickly it all came together. And, uh, and you know, Ben, you take it from there. Well, yeah, so, uh, so Mike and Nick uh, gave, gave me this outline, and I read it and immediately responded to it. I saw shades of Clive Barker. I saw shades of Lovecraft. I also saw, you know, kind of this homage to all all the VHS horror movies I grew up on, and you know, like my uh, my shilling for Shutter is 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 sincere. I've been a subscriber to Shutter for a few years now, and you know, it it's it's the it's what I it's what I love. I love finding a movie like my my 
the one I always bring up is Burial Ground. It's this weird-ass Italian movie from, I think, the late 70s. And I'd seen it in video stores my whole life. And I was like, what the hell is that? It looked too creepy on the video box as a, as a kid. So I never watched it. But on Shudder, it was like, hmm, poop. And it's super weird. It's my Oh, my God, is it weird. Um, but I, I, I love kind of that, that weird feeling of like, who is making this thing? But also I have like kind of a, um, I, I have purist ideas about how to make fake documentary. And a lot of it comes from my Blair Witch experience uh, with Mike. Um, and, uh, actually starting with curse of the Blair Witch, the TV special, I know we're talking about, I, I promise this connects, uh, when we did curse of the Blair Witch, which, uh, they asked me to write that. Uh, and Ed and Dan directed it. And um, what I did for a lot of, there's a lot of interviews and we didn't want the interviews to sound canned. So uh, nobody taught me how to do this. So I, I, I don't, I feel like it's too obvious to, for me to have made it up. But what I did was I wrote bios for all these characters. And then the actors who are auditioning would just memorize the bio more or less. They could screw up details. It's fine. And then be interviewed as themselves with that information. And when you get an actor who can really do that, then the interview feels completely authentic because it just sounds, because if, if I script, if I script one, if I script, like I ask you a question and you answer my question, you know, and I'm, and I'm writing it, I'm writing it in my voice. Even if I'm trying to make each voice differentiated like you would in a movie, when you're getting into something, that's like fake documentary, which is what we're really talking about. Um, the inauthenticity is going to come across of you having memorized the, all these lines. But if you're just recalling, a story that you read, like I could recall it. I, if I was telling you about a movie I saw or something like it just is going to, it's going to come out of my words. I'm going to say, um, and on um, for just like people, people really do. And so to me, I had like really, really strong ideas. If we were going to do uh, video pals, I'm not saying my ideas are strong. I'm saying like, I strongly believed this was my conviction that if we did something like this, that there'd be lots of interviews and that we'd have to get actors who could improv pretty well even though we wrote a script and the script is 183 pages and it's wow. pretty specific. Uh, yeah, Bob and I wrote it. So, and, and I brought, I, I should say I brought Bob DeRosa on, uh, Bob and I have been collaborating for decades, uh, in live theater. And then also, you know, in the, in the web series world with 20 seconds to live, he and I co-created it about four or five years ago. And we've been doing that together. And, uh, and, we just have a good shorthand. Bob has a background in uh, TV writing. Like he, he wrote on, he was a story editor, I believe on white collar, but it's, it's, it is a writing position. It's like a writing producing position. Um, and so I knew that I needed someone who could help me break this idea down in an episodic way. And Bob and I just went at it, uh, you know, index cards on a, with thumbtacks on a fucking, you know, cork board and, 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 and broke the story like, you know, day by day, you know, it took us, took us a while to get that done. Um, but once we had that done, we then went in and pitched that we like brought our cork boards in to shutter. Mike and Nick were Skyped in cause they're all in LA and, uh, and Mike and Nick are in New York. And we went through every episode. What happens, what happens, what happens? And we had practiced that pitch. We pitched our friends. We pitched our producer, I should mention, our producer, Liam Finn, who we brought on. And Liam, uh, I, I don't know how we could have got to the other side of this without Liam. Like, he's... He's amazing. Yep. Yeah, he, he really is. He's he's like, uh, he's brilliant with low-budget filmmaking and knows how to do that. And a lot of this was low-budget filmmaking just without anything you could see. 
And that was sort of how we treated it because none of us had I, – I have a podcast that's sort of like a hobby horse that I do, much like what you're doing now where I interview cinematographers. And it's it's a fun it's called the cinematography podcast. Please subscribe. But it in in almost no way did it prepare me for this. You know, like this is like making a movie and it had to be scheduled like a movie and and all that stuff. And, you know, the the big thing, though, is like if you're making a movie, you're usually going to shoot like, I don't know, between three and eight, nine pages a day. Like TV probably does eight or nine pages a day at the most. Um, we were doing five pages an hour. We had, we had to record all 183 pages in about five days. And, and, uh, the way SAG, the screen, I don't, not to get too wonkish, but the way SAG does the actor deals, it's in four hour blocks. So if we brought in, say, uh, Joel McCrary, who plays Jacob Manders, like our goal is get him out in four hours. Don't, don't have him, you know, like if we need to bring him back, we've essentially doubled how much it's costing to have him there. I mean, like, I'd love to pay I'd love to pay all the actors all the money in the world because they're all my heroes. But, um, but you know, like we're on, you know, we're on a relatively limited budget. But yeah, I mean, every it was a lot like making a movie, but everything just went like lightning, lightning fast. So we recorded it all in five days, and then I think like a month and a half later, it was all delivered. Like it went fast. Yeah, might have been two months. And again, I have to give credit to uh, uh, Diablo Sound who uh, handled all the post sound and uh, Drew Dalzell is the owner and he's an old friend of mine from live theater and a guy named Jeremy Lee was the main sound designer um, on it. And, and Jeremy just kicked all the ass at the sound design. Like he, he did. I mean, if, I don't know if you've ever, I don't know if you're a pro tools person, but if you know what a pro tool session looks like this pro tool section, I've just never seen so many uh, layers in one session in my life. He, he, and, and the guy's amazing. Anyway, that I didn't know that it took so little time just to get all that put together just from listening to it. I would have thought it'd take a lot longer than that. So I'm very impressed. Well, we didn't start like we knew around the time my son my son was born on May the fourth, as I said. Um, around that time, Mike and Nick had given us the outline, and Bob and I had discussed yeah. possibly doing something with it. Um, but then, like, I had a new baby, so there's like it wasn't really till the beginning of June that we could even start doing it, and everything got delivered. Uh, I want to say it was the beginning of September. It was completely finished. Yeah, so even it, the script went down fast. Yeah, it was, I think, honestly, I think like Nick and I started talking about the story in, I want to say like maybe the end of March, maybe even April, and yeah. then and then pitched it to Shudder. And then we got the, you know, oh, let's do it. And then there was a few weeks of like, okay, how are we going to make this happen? Uh, and getting, you know, Ben on board and Ben reading it and, Liam and and Bob and then um, and then it was just working the the contracts out to, so that we could then finalize a budget and 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 get the money to go make it. So, you know, it was like uh, I guess that period of time coincided with those first few weeks where Ben had the newborn. Yeah, and uh, which was I'm seeing I vapor guess... trails. <laughs> I can taste the music. And, uh, and yeah, it was, I have to say, you know, as someone who works in marketing and usually our timelines for doing very big things are very, very tight. This thing happened really, really fast, impressively fast. And it was one of those things where it was a bit scary because for me, I, I, you know, I look at it as, uh, as an, as, as a, as a creator and executive producer, I'm looking at it going like, do Ben and Bob and Liam have the time to make this great? And then, and is there the time for, you know, 
uh, Jeremy to do the sound design properly? And is there time and even budget for a guy like uh, Michael Teoli to really do incredible music? And uh, time and time again, every time, like when Ben and Bob were sending us script drafts and then uh, hearing bits of music and hearing the drafts, it was just kind of, this was one of those projects where every little bit, even as a work in progress, was a joy to listen to. I was like, every single thing came back. And I was like, this is so much better and for and better than I imagined it would be in this stage, you hey. know? Um, Thanks. Yeah, how many drafts did the script go through? Because I know, like, writing is a process. Like, you write, and then you edit, then you revise, and you edit, then you revise again, and it, like, goes through multiple steps. I mean, it wasn't super many, because by the time we sat down to write it, because we had outlined every single episode and gone over and over and over it. And in fact, I think just the act of pitching it, like, like, you know, we pitched it to Bob's wife. We pitched it to our producer. We got used to pitching it. We knew what was in every episode. And so even though Bob and I kind of divided and conquered with the writing of the episodes, um, like, you know, if I wrote like, say for instance, I know I wrote episode eight. That's one of the ones I remember writing. Cause I remember thinking like, boy, Bob would write this a lot better than me. And, uh, and so I, I was writing that one, but it's like, really his fingerprints are all over it. Like what, what Bob and I both wanted and also what Mike and Nick wanted. Cause they, they had kind of gone over the outline with us and had given us so many notes. And so we'd been, even though it was fast, we were somewhat methodical. So like in general, like uh, Bob or I would write a draft and then the other one would read it and kind of do a pass of a rewrite and kind of say, here are the things I'm going to change and go back over it and then pass it back to the first person. And they would kind of, you know, do whatever they were going to do. And then usually by that point, we were happy enough with it to show it to Mike and Nick. And then they would give us notes. And then only after we got through that, we would show it to Shudder. And then Shudder would also give us some notes. So I don't know how many is that, like five, five passes, six passes, something like that. Um, but, you know, uh, it, it didn't, I, I think if I was to show you the outline and then show you the script, and then you'd listen to the episode, you'd see like, they're, they're not outrageously different. There was, yeah. there were a couple of ideas that like would come up as you're writing, you just ideas pop in your head. Like for instance, there's a, a, a thing I, I want to say it's an episode four when they get the, the tape of Thurman Mueller, the, uh, from the police interrogation. Like that was an idea I sort of like had been kicking around and I told, cause the, the thing is, I think we'd already cast Thurman Mueller at that point, and it's a guy named uh, Leon Russom. Leon Russom, you're going to know as the sheriff of Malibu in The Big Lebowski. Um, <laughs> but that guy is a legend. Uh, Leon was in the original Broadway production of O Calcutta in like 1968. He he, if you look him up on IMDb, he's been in everything, and we were so lucky to have him. And Thurman Mueller, like we didn't have that much Thurman Mueller, and I was like, I need to come up with another an excuse to have him do something more. Than what we're having them do and so i had the idea of a police interrogation tape and as i was writing that episode i'm like oh it fits right here boom boom and so the first time anyone had heard of it besides me was when i put it in a script and then bob read it and then you know so that wasn't in our outline it was just something that that, that showed up uh and bob has numerous examples of that kind of thing too i mean that, yeah there, that, that there, there were a few things i mean it was a 10 page outline and you kind of think oh and i, I would say that the like the framework of the narrative like it, like to ben's point if you if you read it you'd go oh, that's the story but even when we passed the the when Nick and I were passing that outline over, Nick and I were both like, oh, there's still holes that have to be solved. Like we knew we were passing something over to Ben and Bob that had some 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 
holes that really needed to be solved. And I think, uh, and then they found others, of course, that, you know, and, um, and I think everything that they did was uh, uh, pretty fantastic. And they did a few things that were unexpected for me where I went, oh, I love how they solved that one. You know, like I wasn't <laughs> expecting that, which is great. You know, whenever you can get surprised by reading a draft of something where you kind of develop the story yourself, <laughs> it's always a good thing. Um, yeah, it was. But it was a it was an incredibly fast, fast writing process. And I think, um, you know, uh, I know that Ben and Bob were methodical about it, but I also think the speed, um, the the speed from which Ben and Bob broke the the script and then had to get into writing it um, was so quick that I actually think there was some kind of mind meld there. Like as methodical as they were, I think it was just it was happening so fast, and it was so intense that I could almost like in talking to them, like they never had any disagreements amongst themselves. <laughs> Sometimes Nick and I would be reading the script and then Nick would go, I'm not sure about this. And I'd go, oh, no, I like it. You know, and we would have a talk amongst ourselves. But whenever we got on the phone with Ben and Bob, it was almost like they were just in lockstep. And I really think it's because of that um, intense process. Uh, You probably can speak to that better. Well, I mean, Bob and I obviously argued about lots of stuff. Yes. You know, by the time we presented it to anyone, we had come to a consensus. Yeah, it's so good, like, whenever, like, things to just, like, all come together, like, in any kind of creative process. It's just, it's great. Like, it's just, it's just a great feeling. And I really enjoyed, like, listening to this podcast so much. I just want to tell you about that. It, um, it did it again. Oh, sh- Oop. Hello? Skype did it again. I swear we're going to get through this podcast. I'm going to get this um, comment down. Like, I loved Video Palace. It intrigued me whenever I first logged into Shudder and I saw, like, you know, podcasts. I was like, what? I never heard of like a horror podcast before, but I listened to it and I was like, oh wow, this is absolutely fantastic. It's like it was something different for me, something unique. And I think that's what really caught um, caught my attention and it genuinely disturbed me. And so, nice. uh, yes, yeah, so I was like, ugh, because I also worked in a video store for about a year and a half. And it smelled, it smelled kind of funny <laughs> at times. So it was just like, I kind of like, you know, I, that, oh yeah, that kind of like that reaction. Ugh, this is, this is really creepy. And so this kind of leads me into my, um, my next question. So horror is a very kind of visceral genre. You not only have to um, deal with the sound, but also the visuals. Well, in a podcast, there are no visuals. There's just audio. So how do you aim to creep people out with just audio? I mean, that's, it can get kind of tricky at times. Um, uh, I, I think that uh, for me, like I would think about podcasts that gave me a visceral response when I listened to them. Um, like I would include like way up there, obviously, uh, season one of Serial and what Sarah Koenig did. Uh, there's a podcast that I love called In the Dark that's very similar to Serial. It's like a true crime kind of a thing. Um, and I was listening to season two of that a lot while we were doing this. And I was noticing sort of what you would notice 
like if you're if you're paying attention to the construction of any documentary kind of a thing, but especially documentary audio, and you're like, okay, well, you've got narration, you've got um, somebody in the field currently holding, you know, some kind of a recording device and interviewing people, and then you also have archival audio. And when Bob and I were outlining uh, each episode, we'd kind of make a list. At the at the first of all, we always wanted to end on some kind of a cliffhanger, which can be hard because you don't want it to be super contrived. I mean, like you can always contrive one, but we had to come up with one that was organic to the story. Uh, so that's, that's a big part of it. Uh, but we would always make a list of like super creepy moments in every episode, which we wanted to make sure that every episode we even would like underline them in red on the index cards and then uh, audio sources. And I think that was something that was kind of important uh, for us because it's like we took it for granted that every episode would be full of Mark and Tamara's personal relationship. That would be one source. Uh, it would also have Mark's uh, or Tamara's uh, narration. That would be another source. But uh, then like where's the archival audio coming from? Like wh where's and, and that's what kind of gets you thinking about like what if I used a voicemail? What if it's like a weird recording? What what it, what it, what do the white tapes sound like? And you know, Jeremy Lee again has to be given a lot of credit for designing, building out this outrageously complex design that he put into what the white tapes sound like. And there's intention behind every every second of it. Um, and Michael Tioli, who also provided music that's kind of part of the white tapes, um, and also how to like tell the story so that it hinged on sound. You know, like we're not trying to make a movie. We're not trying to make a TV show. We're trying to make an audio thing that's built on artifacts that even if the artifact was a video artifact, we're only going to hear the audio part of it. Um, I think that audio though is good because it gets in your head and you build out, I mean like this goes back to the old, you know, lights out and you know, whatever the old, the old radio shows war of the worlds, that kind of stuff where it's like, you don't have to see all of it. When you hear it, you kind of put together like a crazier idea than if we tried to show it like, you know, uh, the character of the eyeless man who we hear a few times, you know, like that's what I don't think that the best makeup effects crew on Earth could make a creature that's more inexplicable and, and disturbing than what you probably imagine it to be just by hearing a few artifacts of what it is. You know, like I have in my head what it looks like and I explain that to the sound designers and also the guy who did the voice of it. But but. I, I feel like the mystery of not seeing it is is cool, and the the it's like a, a double bladed sword, uh, double bladed sword, double bladed whatever. And there's two there's two blades, and either <laughs> one can cut you. And uh, and um, and one is like if you go too obscure, then it just becomes audio salad, and you can't tell what anything is, and it becomes confusing and annoying to the to the listener, which I sometimes pushed for us to do, and other people intelligently pushed back. Um, but you go the other way, and it starts to sound like a radio drama, which I'm not crapping on radio drama. It's just we're not here to do a radio drama. So, um, you know, it was like trying to find, trying to go like, okay, where would the recorder be? Why would it, you know, like, what would we hear? Like, I don't want to I don't want to spoil the climax of the show, but suffice it to say, we have somebody sneaking into someplace they're not supposed to be. And we're recording it in a Foley studio. So it's, you know, probably a, you know, a sound booth about the size of a, a, an average living room. And so, you know, Chase Williamson and, and I had to like come up with like, what's happening to him, you know, step by step, what's he trying to do and kind of block it out. We physically blocked it out. Like they're not, 
they're not sitting in a booth yeah. isolated from each other. Uh, the way we recorded it, um, even though we were in a Foley stage, we uh, put microphones on the actors like lav mics. And um, and then we had a boom that was kind of recording everything. And then Chase or, or Tamara, uh, excuse me, Devin, <laughs> Chase or Devin had uh, a Zoom H4N, which is an audio recorder. They just had it and they would point it around like the like someone making a podcast. And if they were walking, I'd have them walk in place holding it if they were supposed to be talking. If they were running, they would run from one side of the stage to the other. And we physically blocked everybody like that. And um, even though we had all this high-tech miking gear on them, almost everything in the whole in the whole podcast is what was recorded on the microphones built onto the Zoom H4n, which is like a you can get one for like 175 bucks. Ah. Did that answer your question? I think I kind of got off track. There. No, yeah, that, yeah, that did. It just had kind of it got it gets just gets me to thinking. It's just like. Wow, I didn't know just like all that just went into the process of just making it. It's just like I always love hearing the process behind it. It's really cool. So I was just kind of like, yeah, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. <laughs> well, I think, you know, you, you can't underestimate yeah. like what Ben's yeah. talking about is, you know, the, the challenge in, in, in audio is not so much uh, that you can't see some. I, I actually think it's probably easier to scare people with just audio because to Ben's point, you know, I'm guessing if you asked everybody who listened to Video Palace to draw a picture of the eyeless man, we'd probably not get two images that look the same at all. And so uh, whatever you imagine uh, uh, something to look like is going to be way scarier than if we show it, which is, you know, what Ben said. But but to me, what's what Ben did exceptionally well, and I think it's because of the way he talked about blocking out the scene, is the sense of space that where you, when when you're in a scene and there are multiple people talking, um, that's a very that's that you know something like um, when you know when our character of Mark, for example, is in someone's house without kind of ruining the story, he's in someone's house and uh, he has to kind of get out quickly. It's like a scene like that could be complex to sh to block with cameras, but in audio, to Ben's point, it could just turn into soup, and you have no idea what's going on. And yet, everyone who's listened to that scene—I remember when we got versions of it. My fear was that it was just going to be people were going to be confused and going like, "Wait, what's happening? And who's doing what? And what? Why is that? What's that sound mean?" But when you listen to it, I think you have no problem in your head picturing what the space is like, where the character is, how far away the characters are apart from each other. And that's because of the way that Ben uh, and the team actually blocked it out and, and recorded it, which is, which is really very, very different. And I think you notice that. Like if you listen to a scripted fiction podcast that's clearly recorded with actors around a table or you know just up against the mic, you can really, really hear the difference. Man, it's, I, yeah, that's, uh, that, that is actually a very good point because it wasn't like audio soup to me. Like whenever like that scene that you were talking about, it's like a picture like, oh shit, yeah, this is what's happening. And ah, uh, yeah, damn, he's got to get out of here like really quickly. It's just like, oh my God, like, is he going to get his ass kicked? I mean, like, it was like. And we, like, we always had a get out of jail free card too. If something yeah. did become audio soup, like we could have the Mark character come in and explain what happened, you know, like, oh. and that's. That's what happens. I mean, you hear that on on serial or what? You know, you hear that on investigative podcasts, S Town, whatever. Uh, you'll hear someone like something that you don't understand, and then the the narrator who's guiding you through it comes in and contextualizes it for you and makes makes sense out of it. So 
but we added very little VO after this, after it was written. We added, you know, uh, probably under 20 lines of VO in, in all 10 episodes. Um, you know, most of it was written before, you know, cause we, I mean, in our five day recording marathon, uh, probably almost a full day of it was just Chase uh, doing all the VO. It was a lot. <laughs> that, yeah. Okay. How many, like, a total hours of VO and voiceovers were recorded? Like, about an estimate? I mean, a I don't lot. know. I mean, like, I, I don't know if, if you strung them all out. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I honestly couldn't tell you, but I mean, it's a lot in every episode. I mean, mm -hmm. if it, the average episode is 20 minutes, mm -hmm. I would guess it's probably at least five minutes of that episode is, is Chase explaining stuff to us. And uh, by the way, like I, I, I also can't say enough good things about Chase Williamson who plays Mark. Um, I've been a giant fan of his since I saw him in uh, the Don Coscarelli movie, John dies at the end. And whenever I see him pop up in something like siren or whatever, it's just always like, I just know, I know that no matter what the movie is, Chase is going to make interesting choices and be fun to watch. And he was a blast to work with and so game to do all the stuff that we did. In fact, he kind of fart, fought for the role. He did not fart for the role. Oh, fart. I never, he I, farted. I, I rarely ask actors to fart. That's, that's over the line. <laughs> so you can fart in your personal time, but not for a role. Yeah. Well, actually, that's a big fear when you're, when you're in a Foley stage all day with like four people. Everyone would know who farted. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Hey, sorry. And, and I, 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 hopefully I'm not speaking, uh, hopefully I'm not wrong. Nobody farted while we were in the stage the whole time. So I don't, I don't recall anyone farting. Oh, so no sounds and no smells. Yay! And, and we had Mexican food for lunch every day. We went to Piquito Mas every single day. And you figure, I was like, we're like, that's Russian roulette with, with lunch. Yeah, I could not guarantee, like, if I ate Mexican food that I wouldn't fart. I'm sorry. So I probably I'm, like I'm, the... I'm kind of disappointed to hear that we don't have any farts on tape because I think an outtake reel would have been, you know, like can like uh, Cannonball Run, you know, but audio yeah. versus that. Yeah, I just don't... It would all be like... First of all, it would be me who did it. Let's, let's be honest. And it, everybody would just be slowly learning how to hate me more and more as the week went on. <laughs> Like, yeah, no more Mexican food for you. You're banned. No. Ah, <laughs> uh, jeez. Uh, how would you sell this podcast, I guess, in a sense, to someone who is not sure about it? Like, oh, they've watched more horror movies, and you're just like, oh, well, here's this podcast, uh, Video Palace. And they're like, I don't know. But how would you sell it to them? Like, this is great. You should, you should totally listen to this. Um, you know, I, I'd probably just tell them, hey, if you like creepy urban legends, you're going to like this podcast. And then the other thing I'd say, look, the episodes are short. Listen to the first episode. If by the end of the first episode you're not into it, then there's no reason to keep going. Yeah, I start a lot of conversations with, do you listen to podcasts? Because so many people don't. And I'm not saying if you've never heard a podcast that this won't make sense to you, but I feel like if you've listened to the like the kinds of podcasts I'm talking about, like S Town and Serial and in in the dark and stuff, like this is instantly gonna sound hopefully like we're at least using the language of that kind of storytelling. Right. And and so and so if someone's into podcasts, I'd be like, you know, it, I, I would use those kinds of those kinds of touchdowns. The way I always pitch it to people is it's sort of like, you know, if Sarah Koenig was chasing after some kind of Lovecraftian uh, conspiracy monster. Yeah, that kind of like just reminds me of just like a commercial. Do you I have a question for you? Do you like so-so? If so, then you should. 
<laughs> then call this number. Oh God, like I'm getting like so off track here. But well, so many times, I... like I don't, I don't mean to talk out of, out of school, but like when I was trying to get my agent to listen to this, and he was like, "How do I listen to it? Where is it?" I'm like, "It's iTunes," and it was like an hour long conversation. I'm like, "Screw it! I'm just going to send you the link so you can listen to it." You know, like some people are not podcast people. It's just yeah. the way it is, and you know, there's a lot of podcast people, and much like Mike, as soon as I. As soon as podcasts were on the Apple Store uh, or, or on the iTunes thing, I started listening, and I was like, I don't, I, I've barely listened to the radio since. Like to me, podcasts are my are my jam. Yeah, I don't really listen to the radio too much either. But I've only like recently, like in the last few years, gotten into podcasts. Wow. And I don't really like audiobooks either. Kind of going back to like one point, just about audiobooks. Like, yeah, for me, just right. like stuff like that, it's like meant to. Be, be read, and I I don't like listening to audiobooks. Could never. I tried. Could but be. yeah, you know, like I I mean, I've always had that that yeah. problem of staying focused. But yeah. um, you know, when when uh, when we were getting drafts of episodes, uh, I was sending them to folks, and Nick was sending them to folks uh, who we knew, some of whom were podcast listeners, and some who were not. And um, the people who were not were skeptical. Like they would often, when I asked them if they would list, take a listen. Uh, they would often say, well, I don't really listen to podcasts. I don't like them, you know, and I could see they were kind of like prepping <laughs> me to not like it because usually yeah. when a friend says, hey, I made this thing, would you listen to it? It's like... <laughs> people are like, oh, no. <laughs> the, the first thing most people think is like, oh, no, how am I going to tell my friend that I don't like it <laughs> even before they've heard it? I think that's just a natural reaction. But um, the responses I would get were uh, uh, for people who, did, who were not really podcast listeners or don't enjoy podcasts was that – they would kind of say, I can't believe how easy this was to listen to, you know, and, and it really kind of is. I mean, the episodes yeah. are short and um, the, the, the episodes are constructed with cliffhangers. So there's a kind of makes you want to keep listening. And, you know, I think, again, it goes back to that whole the, the, the storytelling that um, and, and I think a large part of the directing that that Ben did. Uh, you just kind of want to know more. And mm -hmm. and the fact that you don't ever need to kind of hit that, you know, I have a pod, my podcast player has a little button where I can go uh, 10 seconds back in case I miss something. And usually it's because there's noise on the subway on the way into work and I have to rewind to listen to it. But on uh, a lot of those, um, a lot of fiction podcasts, sometimes my mind starts to drift and then I go, oh, wait, <laughs> I didn't catch it. And I got to go back 30 seconds or mm -hmm. something, you know? And um, I think this one doesn't do that you know this this one doesn't do that it, it moves it, it it um it doesn't ramble uh, it always like kept my interest and cliffhangers sometimes annoy me it's just like oh come on but like with these cliffhangers it's just like it made me like oh now i gotta like immediately listen to the next episode i was up like for quite a few like hours just like i'm a night owl so that's like late at night mm -hmm. and it's, that's my jam so that's what i was listening to just late at night just like Next episode, next episode, and then when it ended, it's like, ah, it's over now. Like, I almost didn't want to listen to the last episode because then it would be over. <laughs> so, no, it's just like, that's, but yes, Video Palace was, like I said, it was awesome. It reminded me, I immediately got like Lovecraftian vibes like from it. I was able to connect to it because I worked in a video store that smelled, so it was like, ah, and then like the whole idea of the white tapes was just like, now, like, I want to now buy, like, white tapes just so that way, like, I can, like, like have them on a shelf and be like, you know, like, oh, like, Video Palace white tapes. So that way people could be like, what's that? Be like, well, have I got a podcast for you? <laughs> Go ahead and listen to it. 
Okay, so let's go ahead now. It's been about an hour and some change. So I guess let's go ahead and just wind down with like the last um, thing that I wanted to ask you was to kind of talk about, because I said that we would come back to the Blair Witch Project. So let's talk about like some of your uh, your most like fond memories that you had of working like with that. So I know that Mike, you were the producer and Ben, you said you were the production uh, designer? Mm -hmm. Yes. So yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Okay. I, I was. I, yes. I was. A, I was a co-producer on on Blair Witch Project. Um, boy, what was some of my most fond memories of working on that? I have a lot. Um, I. But I think um, my most fond, my my fondest memories of actually working on it are not on actually are not, are not from actually working on the production of the film itself they actually have to do with engaging with fans on the uh, once we put the website up you know uh, we put a website up for the film uh about nine months before it premiered at sundance maybe 10 months before it premiered at sundance and uh we had a discussion board you know this is in the days before social media actually uh this year's the 20th anniversary of blair witch the yeah. they're doing a 20th anniversary screening at sundance <laughs> it's like and no. um and uh, and we put up this website, and people came to the website, and and um, and they would look at this uh, kind of mythology, uh, uh, as, uh, you know, uh, that, that Ben wrote on the website. And um, this is the days of pre-YouTube, so there was no video on the site or anything. And people would get in the discussion boards, and they would start kind of doing their own speculation about the mythology, and and they started putting up fan websites. And we were still editing the film, and we had fan websites up, and. Um, and those kinds of, I always looked forward in the evening, uh, Ed and I mostly, but, but everyone, we'd, we'd go to our computers and log in and go, uh, what, what, you know, what did they say today on the board? And we'd respond and it was always, it was kind of amazing to be editing the film and then, but then also having people kind of real time respond to the mythology, uh, uh, as we were still making the film. And it was such an unusual experience. Uh, to to do that because the internet was so relatively new t for everyone um, that I just love that and that was really the most memorable part overall and then there's uh, tons of things that happened throughout uh, with fans and in the process of making the film uh, related to the internet but that just having that contact with people about our story before the film was even finished was remarkable and and truly weird for someone who went to film school and was trained to like you know polish every pixel and finish it and then you put it out in the world and show it to people yeah i mean like i would say that like from a production standpoint uh i mean like to me the production of it was was the was my favorite part honestly um and i had been you know like we all went to film school uh mike was i think uh two years ahead of me at, at the university of central florida you were in the weren't you in the first class yeah yeah, maybe I was in the third class. Okay. Yeah, Greg, Greg Hale, and I were in the third class. Yeah. Anyway, but like you know, we'd gone to film school, and actually, uh, Greg Hale, who was the one of the other producers on Blair Witch, um, he and I went to went to film school together, and at uh, a place called Valencia Community College, where it was all technical, and so like you're just drilled and drilled and drilled with like the correct way to do it, the set protocol. And then I had started working as a makeup artist, like I said, on all these movies. Some of them actually for kind of a quasi-famous uh, action straight-to-video director, a guy named David Pryor. I worked on, like, seven films for him. Um, and, uh, and you know, it's like you kind of get used to the orthodoxy of how you 
run a set and what the protocol is and who answers to who and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then when Greg Hale had initially pitched me the idea of Blair Witch, he told me the way they wanted to do it, you know, the all improv way. Um, and uh, I thought it sounded crazy. I had also kind of at, around that time, I decided I didn't want to be a makeup artist anymore. And, uh, and I, and I wanted to start moving towards directing, not that it, production designing is any move towards directing, but, um, but the concept of, of the movie, I, so Greg's pitch of it to me, I think was sort of like what I was emulating when I wrote curse of the Blair Witch or when I wrote that pitch tape. And I think that like what appealed to me, it turns out to be like what appealed to a lot of people. I just sort of feel like I was one of the, one of the lucky few who got the pitch early from Greg um, and Greg had already gotten it from Ed and Dan, but I think that the idea was such a sticky idea. And then the idea of how they were going to make it sounded exciting because we didn't make it like you make a normal movie. We made it, it was like going to summer camp. Um, and so literally, at not, so to me, when I, in answer to your question, like my fondest memories were putting on camouflage and a camouflage mask and a, and a, like a little stupid headlamp that we had a red gel that we would stick in on top of it when we got close enough to the actors and sneaking out into the middle of the woods at like two in the morning to fuck with those three actors. What could be more fun than that? It was like, it was, it was, it was basically a LARP. You know, to me, to me, it was so much like what a LARP is. It's like, we've all agreed, like, they've agreed to let us fuck with them. We're not doing anything that they're, they don't know what we're going to do. They know that we don't want to endanger them, but they're, they know to get scared when it happens and to, and to pretend that they don't see us. You know, to me, the strength of that movie, and I always say this is like, it is a real documentary. Uh, it's just ignoring the fact that they know what's, what the force is in the woods. But in every other way, that's all their footage. That's their natural reactions to things, and uh, wow. and and so so sneaking out and being a, a goofball in the woods. I mean, like that. I'm I'm happy that I I got to be a person who got to do anything like that in my entire life. It was super weird, and uh, and and just a blast. It was it was so much fun. We'd go home like you know, on adrenaline every every night that we did it. You know, and it was only eight nights that they were in the woods, but still, every night was awesome. That, that was a movie, okay, I remember it came out uh, whenever I was still in high school, and I bought, that's what, when still VHS was a thing, and so that's where I watched it, it was on VHS, it's just like, it really stuck with me over the years, just like, especially, I just, I, I don't know why, so whenever I found out, I, I kind of like find out about you guys backwards, like, first it was from the podcast, and then I saw that you both were involved in some way with the Blair Witch Project, and I was like, Oh my God, like, this is great. <laughs> this is so awesome. And it's just like, nah, they probably won't talk to me. So when you both agreed, it's just like, hey, yeah, this is great. We'll come on and talk with you. It's just like, ah, so, like, it was, it was real. it's really awesome. Like, I love talking with you guys uh, oh, so much. And I am so happy that you both agreed to come on. And I hope that you enjoyed yourselves. Of course, Thank you, I did. Yes. Yeah. Good. So people enjoy themselves. Oh, it was a nice interview. Oh, well, thank you. So if people are having a good time, then I feel like I've done my job. So before we officially, uh, before we officially, officially wrap up, uh, do you want to plug your social medias or any new projects that you have uh, coming down the pipelines? <laughs> this is as new of a project as I have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, now this is the newest project. I mean, I'm on Twitter. It's at Mike Manello. I know Ben's on Twitter. 
I'm at Neptune Salad. <laughs> yeah, that's like Neptune Salad. Like, though, no, that's not his name at all. That's just his Twitter handle. Yeah, you know, I didn't know that Twitter would, like, you know, catch on and be a thing in 2009. Who knew? <laughs> I, I, you know, for me, I, I just, I, I actually just want to promote Video Palace. If there's anybody who's listening and hasn't heard Video Palace, I hope they'll give it a shot. And, uh, and I hope if they do give it a shot, they love it. Um, you know, it, it was um, put out by Shudder, but, you know, podcast, a podcast is still in the process of finding its audience. So, um, you know, if you love it, share it with your friends. Yeah, yeah, go on. Uh, yeah, it's on wherever you get podcasts. Is it on Stitcher yet? Did they get it on Stitcher? I don't know, but it's on iTunes and most other places, and of course on Shutter. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you can totally get it. The only the only difference if uh, getting it on Shutter versus a uh, whatever else, wherever else you get podcasts is there are five bonus episodes on Shutter. But, uh, yes. Um, which are just we got there's an, an interview portion in episode one, and when I was editing those that down, it's like it first started with Adam green and Adam gave us so much content. Like I was like, I like, I feel terrible. He gave us 30 minutes of sheer entertainment out of which I'm, I'm pulling 12 seconds of exposition. And so I, I, I was like, what if I cut this into and just like, let it run long? Would they want to use it? And of course, you know, it's like bonus content. Hell yeah. You know, and uh, you know, him and Sam Zimmerman and Brian Collins, like they're all, they're all uh, Steve Barton. Uncle Creepy, Steve, Steve is, you know, one of my good friends. And it was, you know, like I wanted to use every, those guys all gave us such great stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, check it out. I would also plug 20 Seconds to Live because we're about to have a second season. I, I We don't ha we haven't officially announced when it's coming out, but it is in the can and it is currently being worked on. So. So does 20 Seconds to Live. I know you have a website, um, but do you also have a Twitter as well? Uh, yeah, it's I think it's 20STL.com um, and, and Bob is the one who runs that and he's constantly on there doing stuff like Bob, Bob is relentlessly pushing 20 seconds to live. He's a lot of fun. If you, if you say anything to the 20 seconds to live Twitter, Bob will respond to you and he's very funny. So he'll respond sort of in character. Like he, he, we never say who it is, who's running it. He'll probably be mad that I outed him, but, uh, but, uh, but it's, Bob. Yeah. but yeah, I mean, it, like, you know, we've, we've got some pretty, uh, we were lucky enough to work with some people who are kind of in the horror world on it, including Adam Green, um, but also like Derek Mears, who's the new Swamp Thing, is in one of our episodes. Mm -hmm. uh, Gra Graham Skipper, director of Sequence Break and uh, the star of Reanimator, the musical. He's also in uh, All the Creatures We're Starring. Graham is phenomenal. He's he's in one of them. Like we, we um, Tom Holland, director of Child's Play and Fright Night. He's in one of them. So we we got some cool people in there. I will definitely have to check that out. Like now that yeah, I know about it. Yeah, they're all very, they're all extremely. It's a lot short, of fun. So. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. It's worth you have no, to check it out. None of them are more than like three. I think our our Lawrence of Arabia episode is about three and a half minutes. Uh, most of most some episodes are a minute and a half. They're all really short. No, I thought you were gonna say our Lawrence of Arabia episode is three and a half. I like oh hours. <laughs> like, you, no, no, no. It's it's all. It's it's an anthology series where you kind of like are introduced to new characters and at a certain point it, it freezes, it says twenty seconds to live, the twenty drops down to the bottom of the screen and becomes a countdown and when it's over, one of the people that you have met is going to die, but you just don't know who or how. That Check it out. Yeah. I I'll definitely do that. That sounds like really fascinating. And yes, I will like lastly show for shutter. I show for shutter and I don't <laughs> even like work for it, but yes, shutter. Yeah. 
watch, get it, and I almost said watch, listen to Video Palace because it is absolutely fabulous. And so are you two gentlemen. So Mike and Ben, thank you so much for coming on and talking with me and taking time out of your evening. I really appreciate it. Thanks great so to meet much. you. Yeah. Had a great time. Uh, so then it was great to meet you too. And I will definitely catch you out there in the Twitter sphere and yeah, <laughs> other places. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right. So have a good evening, guys. You too. You too. Right. Bye. Bye. Once again, thank you so much to Mike and Ben for coming on to Terrific Talk and talking about your experiences and the process behind Video Palace and also your fondest memories of the Blair Witch Project. And thank you for being good sports throughout the uh, Skype audio issues um, as well. And to my audience as well, thank you so much for tuning in. So tune in next week for another episode of Terrific Talk. You will find all past episodes on anchor.fm slash Terrific Talk and on youtube.com slash Brandykins. And if you want to be a patron of the podcast, go to my Patreon at patreon.com slash Brandykins. So until next time... Stay terrific, everyone, and bye-bye.